People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. We want to say hello to Linda Palio. Welcome, Linda, to Health Gig. You're in Sedona, Arizona. Is that right? I'm sitting in Sedona, Arizona. Um, <laughs> I've been coming here for 25 years. It's where I wrote most of my book, Trusting the Currents, but I fell in love with the place when I first came here, and I always wanted to live here. I went back and forth, back and forth, and then I ended up taking care of my mother for several years, so I was sort of a captive audience, and as soon as she passed, I said, okay, it's my time to move to Sedona. So I dragged my husband kicking and screaming here because he did not, he's a New Yorker. He did not want to come, but we got here in the middle of the pandemic and it's been a wild ride since we've been here, but I'm really happy to sort of be in this beautiful place during this difficult time on the planet. Yes, yes. And congratulations on the success of your book, Trusting the Currents. Thank you very much. Incredible. But tell us about you. So you talk about yourself as being a consciousness doula. And, and you start, had a very successful corporate life, which yes. included being a chief consciousness officer. Could you tell us all about that and what does it mean to be a consciousness doula and what your hopes are for what you're going to be doing now and in the future? Boy, that's a long <laughs> question, but I'll do the best I can to shorten it. I've always been highly conscious as a child. I was one of those weird children that saw things and heard things and communicated with insects and always had unusual perspective about life. And But, you know, we leave our childhood and I go into school and I go into corporate world and I get into advertising and I sort of, it's still in me, but I'm now in the normal sort of stream of, of life. It was still in me, but I was not participating in it. And then I took care of my father for a year before he died. And right after he died, three days later, I woke up in the morning and I heard a voice say, go to Sedona. And I had heard of Sedona, but I had never been there before. So I walked out. I told my husband, I'm going to Sedona. He said, where's that? He's, I said, it's in Arizona. So three weeks later, I was on a plane. I had nowhere to stay. I didn't know why I was going, how long I was going for. I got off the plane, rented a car, got a flat tire, and ended up reading the book, The Call of the Canyon by Zane Gray, which I found as I was leaving my father's hospice after he died. It was laying on a bench. And it turned out to be a book about a woman from New York who goes out to Sedona. That's crazy. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's set in the 1920s and she goes for different reasons than I went, but it, it still sort of resonated with me. So I read the book the night that I was stuck in a hotel room waiting for a new car. And the next day I drove into Sedona. And when I saw those Red Rock Mountains, I literally felt them embracing me saying, welcome home. And I stayed for five months the first time I went and I went on raw foods and I had all kinds of mystical experiences that kind of opened me back up from the world I had been in as a child. And at the time I was working in advertising, I was a senior executive in advertising. I ran new business for ad agencies and I was consulting at that time, mostly working with companies that wanted to develop new business programs and sort of analyzing their programs. So it was a corporate but creative job because it was advertising. And I went back to New York after the five months. And I knew at that point that I couldn't go back to my normal life, that I had to be part of bringing an expanded level of consciousness to the planet. So um, I started working in the sort of conscious business practices, which at the time 
There was an organization called LOHAS, which was Lifestyles of Health and Sustainability, which really were all of the organics and, and solar energy. And this was the beginning of all those kinds of companies that were coming up. And from there, it was Conscious Capitalism, which was launched by John Mackey. And I became sort of a thought leader and a participant in that world, bringing, sort of integrating my business development and my advertising marketing experience into consciousness and then consulting with mostly smaller companies that were building companies that wanted to have consciousness in the sort of foundation of their businesses. Was, was the conscious capitalism, so what was the purpose of that? And they're still around, right? Conscious capitalism? Yeah, yeah. It was started by John and Ray Sisodia, who was with, at the time, Bentley University. And it was primarily about sort of moving from a shareholder value to a stakeholder value. So it was taking into account the idea that there are employees, there are partners, there are all different kinds of people that need to participate in what a company is doing instead of just having it focused on shareholders. So it was about bringing an elevated state of consciousness into the corporate world. So those two things were a big part of the beginning of my working in that world because I was coming from a corporate world, but I was moving into the conscious world. So that helped me bridge and I bridged for many years. And I also began a very deep study into spiritual disciplines, wellness, energetic practices, shamanism. I spent, I would work in New York, make money, come to Sedona, spend it all, <laughs> work in New York, make money. And I did that for 10 years. And that kind of helped me integrate the whole idea of kind of bridging these two worlds because we have to bridge them. You can't live in one world or just the other. We live in a very complex universe. How do you explain to people who don't know what it means to be conscious or what what is consciousness and what is raising consciousness mean people throw that term around a lot could you define it for us yeah i got a lot of that when when i first became the world's first chief consciousness officer i was working for a, a large global marketing consultancy and i was working with fortune 100 ceos and cmos with the idea of bringing the idea of human technologies which are wisdom intuition compassion empathy forgiveness and gratitude into corporate culture so what is consciousness was probably the first question I got from everyone. And they were, is it conscience? They didn't understand it. But in a very simplistic kind of very simplistic way, consciousness is just awareness. And as you become aware, more aware of not only your own life and the world around you, but of sort of things that are outside of your perception and outside of your belief systems. So Becoming more conscious usually means that you see more things around you. You are more connected to people that maybe you wouldn't feel connected to. You move into your heart more. Most people, if they're narrowly conscious, are mostly in their heads because that's a very safe place to be. You know all about your mind. You know how it protects you. Your heart often is something that is unexplored. It's also the place we hold most of our trauma because we have all of us have some kind of trauma stuck in our heart from mm -hmm. childhood or broken hearts. or So we don't trust our heart. We trust our mind. But when you become more conscious, you begin to move into your heart and you begin to move into the places within yourself that need light on them. Uh, so you begin to see things around you differently. So your, your whole mindset changes. And when your mindset changes, you're able to communicate to people differently and you're, be able, and you're able to see things differently. So when I was involved with being a conscious, a chief conscious officer, my job was to just help expand consciousness, help people become more aware that maybe 
the narrow belief system that they have been cultivated in, because we're all cultivated into a certain belief system based on our ancestry, the place we were born, the time we were born, the family we were born into, our religions, our cultures, all that. But that is just sort of a programming. And beyond that and beneath that is who we really are as human beings and as spiritual beings and whatever belief system you have. So it's, it's really all about kind of taking people into a deeper part of themselves to find those new places. So what tools and techniques did you use to help people do that? Mostly communicating, because when you communicate with higher levels of frequency, I mean, all of us are emoting frequencies. You know, everything's a frequency. When you look at a color, that color is a frequency. When you look at a chair, that chair is made up of frequencies. A person is made up of frequencies. So when you speak to someone, they and are communicating. Food. Yes, Sometimes food. food, right? And yes. that's food can be. So if we're eating higher levels of frequency, which sometimes is like vegetables exactly. versus a Twinkie, right? Is the same kind of idea. I mean, you could add that. Yeah. As an well, you know, wellness, you know, the work that you're doing is very much about helping people expand their consciousness around food or meditation, because all these things, anything that, first of all, elevates the body, because ultimately your consciousness is in your body because we're physical beings. So anything you do to elevate your consciousness within your body, like eating healthy foods, drinking a lot of water, being out in nature, they're all really important. And then anything that you can do, like meditation or prayer or whatever way you feel comfortable to really focus on expanding your belief systems, that is going to help you. So when you were in a corporate setting, how did you, was it difficult to introduce this kind of thinking or did people accept it right away or what was your experience? It was extremely difficult. <laughs> and I was doing this many years ago. I mean, I've been on this elevating consciousness path for probably 30 years. So when I started speaking in, in that language, it wasn't understood, let alone accepted. But what I would do is, I mean, I actually tried to get advertising agencies to create a chief consciousness officer position first. And my thinking was just as when technologies, when digital technologies came into the planet and they started swarming the planet and it began with a bunch of kind of crazy people talking about this new thing that was going to change the world. And they came together, they created businesses, they create languages all around technology. What companies had to do because they didn't understand that technology was they had to create a position of a chief technology officer, someone who understood those technologies and could bring them into the corporate environment and then bring them into their population, into their employees and into their customers. And so I feel that as human technologies are beginning to flood the planet, that businesses would be more successful at this point in time if they would create a chief consciousness officer position for someone with someone who understands those, those technologies and can understand how they can influence and benefit uh, not only the company, but everyone around them. It's an atmospheric experience. So, so, so interesting. You know, back to when you talked about getting from our minds to our hearts, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I think when we talked before, we said, well, how do you know you're in your mind and how do you know you're in your heart and how do you stay in your heart? And can you talk about that? Well, you know, if you're in fear, you're in your mind. <laughs> and if you know you're being critical, you're in your mind because your heart is a gigantic, as you probably know through heart math, 
the heart is a much larger energetic field than your mind is. And it's much more powerful. It's just that we haven't been trained in it. And if you care about people, because that's what part of being in the heart is, you care about people, then you feel that connection to someone else. And our culture has kind of devolved away from the caring of other people. So once you start caring, A, about yourself, a lot of people have a lot of self-worth issues. It's really hard to care about someone else if you don't truly care about yourself. So getting people into their own heart space and dealing with their trauma you know, like I said, we all have these kind of deep-seated traumas that we're either conscious of or not conscious of. And the ones that are really detrimental to us are the ones that we're not conscious of. So how do you bring those unconscious traumas up so that they can be witnessed and revealed and released so that you can, and the first thing you have to do is feel them. Most people don't want to feel their pain. But once you feel it, then you can see it and then you can allow it to leave. So that's a big part of it. So walk us through that. So what you're saying is things that are most painful to us, oftentimes we bury. Oftentimes we don't have, we, we don't want to talk about it. We, um, yeah. we bury it or we forget or, it. Or it happened at a time in your childhood where you, where you had no language yet, or you didn't know how to communicate, or you were in a place that you had no one to communicate to. So you pushed it into you because you had to survive. And it doesn't even have to be a, a super traumatic experience. It had to be something that you, at that time in your life, found very traumatic. And you Which, had no way of fixing it. Right, right. Which almost you could argue is everybody at some yeah. point in their childhood had an yes. incident where they had to suppress themselves. They didn't mm -hmm. want to cry because they, all that kind of stuff. That right. kind of idea. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so that's in you. And so what you're saying is you need to kind of get in touch with yourself is what you're saying. Yes. You have to go into yourself. We are very externally focused right now with all the technology and it pulls you out and we, we keep looking for solutions on the outside and really the solutions are on the inside and, you know, be, becoming more vulnerable to each other is a big deal. Vulnerability is a superpower. If we're able to communicate with each other honestly about our fears and our failures, we will have support around each other. It's just that the culture tells us that it's not a good thing to, to communicate. So it's important that we're able to find people that we're able to talk honestly to. Um, and I think that's a big problem we have right now. Everyone feels alone. You know, there's a, there's a surge of loneliness here and it doesn't have to be where we're all the same. I mean, you know, when I was writing the book and I was asking Addie Mae, like, why did you choose me as this white woman to, to write this, you know, African-American story? And she said, that's why, to show what two women who share the same compassionate spirit can accomplish when they come together. And it was also about the fact that when we come here, you know, we like the fact that we're different. Our differences is what we celebrate. How boring would it be if we were all the same? So what tools and techniques did you use to help people do that? That was um, very unusual. I mean, I've, like I said before, I've always had certain gifts um, that were kind of unusual, but I'd never heard a voice before. I, I would, I've always gotten what I would call high knowledge. I get information when, you know, I've done a lot of sort of one-on-one -on -one consulting with people. And when I'm speaking to them, I will get information based on their frequencies, based on what chakra they're operating out of and all sort of things like and that. You, were you, and you did this before, or this was all of like, walk us through. So as a child, you were highly sensitive or intuitive. Yes. 
Yes, very much. And then, and then you grow up. And I you grow kind up. Of I go into business world like everybody else. World. And are you finding that you're pretty intuitive there too? Or are you just sort of? No, being- I am very intuitive because, you know, being in business development, um, I had to be communicating to all different types of people. So one of the gifts I had and why I think I was successful in it was I was able to meet people and know exactly what they needed and knew how to communicate to them and, and knew how to help people communicate to each other, even if they were had disparate. And for a while, I was doing sort of kind of therapy. I, when, when an advertising agency and a client were about to go into review, which is meaning the, age, the, the client wanted to dump the agency, I had some clients that had been my clients when I was in advertising, this is when I was consulting, and they came to me and said, you know, the whole review process is such a nightmare. I don't want to do it. So I said, well, why don't I go into your organization and into the agency organization and go through the different layers of management and see if we can find out where the problem is. So I did that. And I would interview from, you know, the CEO, whoever was involved where the problem was, whatever levels were down, all the way down on both sides. And almost all the time, it was merely a communication problem that had gotten out of hand. And all you had to do was get to the root of where it was and get these people to sit down and, and see what they had in common and apologize if that was necessary. But business does not really have that mechanism at this point. That was part of the whole chief consciousness mm-hmm. officer is to allow a, a space for people to kind of sit around the fire together mm-hmm. and have a conversation. And you can pretty much, is it the energy that you feel from people? Is that kind of how it goes? Because your talent is reading energy. Yes, I'm, I'm very good at reading energy. Um, that's the only way I cook is because I can put together frequencies and say, this will go with this, with this, with this, with this. <laughs> Otherwise, I would never be able to cook anything because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a natural chef. But yes, I, I pick up frequencies. And, it, and it's also just my experience. I've been on this path for so long. And And I think, you know, I've gone into a dark night of the soul when I was caring for my mother. It was a level of suffering that I never expected to have in my life. And it helped me understand, I think, humans a lot better. And what they don't realize, most people, is that suffering is probably our most universal shared experience. And yet we, again, we back off from it and we don't speak about it. So when I went through that experience, it really opened me up for, um, other aspects of what I think was part of my soul. Because when you suffer, you think you're contracting. It feels very contracting. But if you allow yourself to go into the suffering and you accept it, what happens is it brings you into unknown parts of yourself. And that will scare you. But if you're willing to kind of work your way through these parts, you expand your consciousness. You expand your sense of self. And when you come out of it, because at the end of suffering is always freedom. At some point, you will leave, free, leave suffering, even if it's death. If you're suffering through death, you will be freed through death. But most people who suffer, they, whether it's a day, a week, a month, whatever, they will come through and they will be free and they will have a sense of freedom that they never felt before. And then what you do with that freedom is really the beginning of a whole new life for you. I found that most people really don't want to know a lot. (laughs) So I would tell my friends when they would meet some guy, I'd say, "Mm, this is how it's going to go down. (laughs) 
and they go, no, 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 he's different. I'd say, okay. And then when it would go down the way I said, they'd be mad at me thinking that I was some kind of witch who made it happen. So I learned kind of early on to keep the knowledge to myself, except for um, A, if someone's asking me and actively wants sort of guidance, um, or just have it, it, which is what happened to me, it just became part of what I did for a living. And I did it without people really knowing because it helped me understand the person. And it helped me also to become way more compassionate and kind. And I mean, I'm very much about anything heart-based. I believe that the only way we're going to come through all this is if we all learn to get back into our hearts. And I have friends that have extremely different perspectives um, on the world than I do, but they are heart-based as well. So we're we're willing to listen to each other and we're willing to, even when we have conflict around something that we believe in, we hold our hearts together. And that's the only way because I might be wrong, they might be wrong. We really don't know. I mean, truth is a prism and we don't really know what the truth is and we don't know what our truth is because it keeps changing. So mostly it's just been, you know, I, I use it in my personal life. I am very good at immediately knowing who someone is I walk away from people right away if I feel that they're not in their hearts. I have, and so it's been, it helps me to kind of streamline my path in life so that I meet people that um, are on the same wavelength and that are open for helping the world to change. That's what brought me to Sedona. Although I love New York. I mean, New York will always hold my heart. I lived there for a long time and it was, I was, but I did everything in New York. I had a very good life in New York and it was just time for me to, first of all, move more into nature. And second of all, just have another adventure. I'm at a part, you know, point in my life that I was ready for something new. What role do you see women in right now when we talk, when we have this talk? Can you talk to us about that? <laughs> women are the answer. And we really have to find ways of helping women overcome their own social conditionings and their own fear. You know, women are all basically programmed to support men and to stay on the sidelines. And I think, and yet they're, they're so powerful. And I particularly am um, very passionate about bringing all the different races of women together, because I think Black women have an incredible amount of soul and heart power behind them because of what they've experienced. And, you know, my, my experience in writing the book, you know, I've had African-American friends, but I've never been really into that culture. But when I wrote this book, I became so immersed in the feeling of how important Black women were going to be to our global transformation. When I came back after writing the first draft of the book, and I came back to New York, I literally used to walk by cafes and see Black friends and put my nose to the window and want to be sitting in with them because I just feel like it's they're so important. So I think women hold all the power. Women hold the power of the purse. We influence 80% of the purchasing decisions in this country and in probably in the world too. And if women would use the power of their purse to help decide what is best for women, for families and for children, we would have a whole nother world, but we are separated right now. And so I think any kind of organizations and groups and you know things that you're doing with Health Gig, you know, bringing women together and it's really important. I did a, uh, a Zoom book club last night with this group of women in, in, in California and it was so interesting because they had been together for a while as a book club. And yet as they were talking about the book and the things in the book that interested them, they started 
releasing things about themselves that no one in the club had learned about them. And it became this very powerful sort of exchange between these women that had known each other for a while, but on that sort of superficial level. And it was beautiful to watch. They were opening up, they were supporting each other. And I think we have to start gathering. It's a a time for gathering women together online, in person, and all different types of women. It's so funny because I was recently with my husband in California at his board meeting and someone came up to me and said, wow, I thought you were invisible. And I really didn't know what to say. And I wanted to say, well, I have my own life. I have my own career. I have, you know, I've been doing, that's what I do. But even women assume that other women should be in that supporting role. It was just interesting to me. And I was slightly insulted at first, but then I thought, you know, I'm really not because I'm proud of what I do. It didn't sound like she really wanted to take time to hear about it. (laughs) Well, women are, women are women's biggest problem. Women, because, you know, we've been trained from childhood to, you know, we are second and we are here to please men and, and we are here to do things for them. And so there's always been sort of a, an unhealthy competition between women because of that. And it really is going to begin with, you know, small groups of women who don't have that feeling coming together and supporting each other and bringing each other, expanding um, who they are, expanding their consciousness and bringing in, you know, sort of suspending our own belief systems. Our belief systems are so ingrained in us that we don't realize that they're just belief systems. So anything that we can do, and it's, you know, whether it's reading books, taking workshops, listening to podcasts, getting together with friends who you really trust that you can be very honest with, whatever role that plays, and it can be in large groups, it can be in small groups, but it has to begin where women just start supporting women. And then we can go into a whole new world. And then we bring men in because there are a lot of wonderful men out there too. It's not like, <laughs> not like they're all monsters. It's just, <laughs> it's just that we have to first, it's kind of like you put the oxygen mask on yourself in a plane. And I think women have to start really putting the oxygen mask on and not really looking at what our belief systems are, but let's gather around the fire, you know, like they did in the tribal times and share our stories and and share why we believe what we believe because a lot of what we believe we don't even know why we believe it we just think it's true Mm -hmm. so and i may believe something totally different than you it doesn't mean that i'm wrong or you're wrong we may both be right for the worlds that we came from but Mm -hmm. how do we put those batons down and come together at the fire and start creating something new between us and that's what consciousness is that's Mm. becoming aware that that's a possibility. And then you find people and tools and resources to help sort of guide you in those places. Mm -hmm. I think about Mary Oliver's poem, Wild Geese. Oh, yeah. You know, and it just feels like that. Like we just need to tell each other about each other. We need to find our place, you know, anyway, it's just. And and without judgment. I mean, we have women particularly have a lot of judgment and fear. I mean, uh, not fear, shame. We have a lot of shame that is sort of intrinsic to us. Yeah. Why do you think that? Why, why do we have so much shame? And what does shame do to our brains? And what does shame do to us? You know, shame and judgment are kind of, you know, sister problems. 
because without shame, we probably wouldn't have too much judgment. But shame, I think, happens to us very young, like we're young and we pee in our diaper and our mother goes, oh, my God, what did you I mean? And even though we may not understand it, there's something in us. So all the things you didn't do well enough in school, you know, and your parents degraded you. I mean, shame is inherent in our system. So it's not that you can't go back and change anything. What you have to do is you have to sit where you are right now and find your shame and find people and talk and, and talk about your shame in an environment. And I, I wrote a blog called Making Sense of Suffering, and it's really all about suffering. And I, and I talk about the fact that to find people that you can express your suffering with, and they don't have to fix you. They just yeah. have to hold a space for you without judgment to listen to you so that you can get this out of you and then allow it to just move forward. And I think that's a big, you know, shame, you know, shame, judgment and suffering are kind of in the same pool together. Um, and they're all taboos. And yet, you know, suffering is one of our most powerful creative forces, you know, all new political ideas and religious ideas and great art all comes from the ashes of suffering. So it's important that we understand that it's not about getting away from suffering. It's about understanding it and realizing that it's a shared experience and it's okay, you know, and our entertainment sort of celebrates it. And, you know, government tells us to kind of be quiet about it. And religion says, okay, wait until you're dead and you'll get your rewards for your suffering. But really what we need to do is just sit with it and realize it's normal and it's not you because people that's, I think that's why suicide is so prevalent right now is people are feeling so much of this and they have no way to express it. Um, And everyone tries to fix it instead of just going, it's okay. I feel it too. I'm standing in your silent torment too. I may not have the same experience you have, but we are vibrating at the same place and I'm here for you. Mm. You told us about your story when you when we were together the last time about when you were in the cab and it was right after 9-11. Yes. Yeah. And what happened to you? And I was thinking earlier on, you had said if someone's not vibrating at your level or is not at the heart, you kind of go away. But with that person, you didn't. Was that because it was hidden? Maybe you could share with our listeners what we're no, talking about. <laughs> because Oh, right after 9-11, I live in New York. It was obviously a big, awful thing. And we were all drinking like fish (laughs) because (laughs) what else do you do when something like that happens? (laughs) So I was out with some friends and we were down at a bar in Soho. And after we were drinking, my friend called a car service and the car service dropped us each off. I was the last one in the car. It was an Indian Sikh, Pakistani Sikh who was in it. And he was a Taliban supporter. And this is right after 9-11. So it was intense. So I don't remember what happened before my friends got out of the car, but after I got out of the car, somehow we started talking about the event. And he looked at he looked at me from his mirror, and I just saw hate glazing his eyes. And we started having this combative conversation about, well, you know, it's good that this happened. He thought it was a wonderful thing, and I was, uh, no. So we ended up, he pulled in front of my apartment, and we ended up sitting in front of my apartment for three hours having a conversation, and he never turned off his meter. And it became this, from this, sort of very difficult beginning of our conversation. He started listening to me and I started listening to him. He opened his heart. My heart touched his heart. He was willing to share his heart, even though everything else about him was telling him something else. 
he was willing to listen to my story. And I won't go into the whole conversation that got there, but at the end of the conversation, I got out of the car and he hugged me and he said, more people need to speak like this. And if you had probably looked at the both of us in the beginning of that conversation, you would have seen nothing there, but that's, that's what happened. So it's about staying in your heart because even people that have been tortured and have had their own traumas, if you can go back into your heart, I mean, for me, the answers lie in the heart and it's about helping people get there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's right. And everybody has a heart. Mm-hmm. So it's just a matter of how, as you said, how we all can help each other yes. get to the heart. What is your biggest fear in life? I think my biggest fear in life at this point in my life, because I've had a long life already, is that I won't accomplish what I feel like my mission is totally here. And, you know, I have felt these days coming since I was a child. I was very prescient about knowing that we were going to be going through some major shift in our world. I had no idea what form it would take. I thought it was going to be a long time ago. And so, and I knew I would be part of it. And there are other people that are also, you know, working in various different ways with various different frequencies, communicating to different kinds of audiences about making this shift into the point that we can, we can be together in a better way. And when, when the book was channeled to me, I really felt like, because I had never expected to write a book, it just started coming to me. And I didn't, I thought it was crazy, but I did it. And you know, I, it's also important to me that it gets out in the world because it is a book that um, brings people together and it is a book that helps people find aspects of themselves that they didn't know they had. I just got an email a couple of days ago from someone I had given a book to that I didn't even know almost three years ago now. And he told me, he just wanted to say, I finally read the book this summer while I was hiking and it changed my perspective of reality. And that I think is what we need to do. And I, I want to see how this ends. You know, we're, we're still in the midst of a very difficult time and I don't think we're going to be out of this for a few years, but I believe if we can get more people to open up their hearts and to really look at the reality of the fact that they are part-timers here, like we're all part-timers here. So we really want to have happier lives and I want you to have a happier life and everyone have a happier life. So my fear is that I don't really do what I feel like I'm here to do. Which is to get this consciousness to as many people as possible. To get people into their hearts so they can see how it shifts the way everything is. It literally, you know, because we're so externally centered right now, when you start bringing people into themselves, there is an entire another world in there, as you well know. And we need people to go in there and discover themselves so that they can bring out that divinity and that humanity and bring it out into the world and out into the culture and share it with others. So that, you know, most of the time, if I come across someone who's angry because they have a belief system, they don't even know what mine is, but they're just angry and they're just looking to throw it at me. I just send them love. I just don't engage them. They can believe whatever they want about me, but I'm just holding that space where they don't have to be that. Because as soon as you start fighting with them, then you're engaging it and you're, and you're making it bigger. That's so true. So when people listen to this podcast, they're going to want to you know, start living from their heart rather than from their head. So if you had one little piece of advice for someone who wanted to get started living from their heart, what would it be? Step away from your phones. 
and spend time alone. I think very few people now can spend time by themselves. And you can spend time by yourself with other people. There's been a ton of teachers that have taught this, stay in the present moment and go into yourself as much as possible. Whatever ways you can find it, whether it's meditation, music, plant medicine, if it's done properly, I mean, anything that helps people find themselves deep in themselves, um, I think that's, that's the first thing. And talking about it. I mean, I think many people don't want to talk. They don't want to seem vulnerable. They don't want to seem weak. They don't want to seem weird. So find people that they're comfortable in having conversations with. Um, and maybe two or three of you can come together and, and find ways to communicate. But I think that's probably the first start. And then the second start would be to go to others, whether it's, you know, books, spiritual teachers, or any kind of people that help you kind of get into yourself. You have to be discerning. It's a very discerning time in our world. The information, the people that come to you, the ideas that are coming to you, you have to be very discerning. And that's what consciousness helps you be. When you, when you expand your consciousness, you become very discerning of what is coming at you. And you can say yay or nay, because everything that comes at you, you can become. So choose what you want to become. Wow. Linda, that, that is so powerful. Wow. Is there anything we didn't talk about? Because this has been incredible. Um, anything that you wanted us to talk about that we didn't? Um, because that is a wonderful way to end it. Because it's so true. We, we're free to choose how we, we want to be in this world, you know? I mean, I think, I think another sort of thought is that we are all in the process of becoming something unexpected. And it's very important that we allow the unexpected to emerge within us and without us, without, again, without judgment, without blame, holding each other's hands. I always talk about, you know, sort of the coming out of the cave syndrome. We're in this cave together and we're, we're happy. Like everyone's content, you know, they're safe. They're all talking to each other. And then all of a sudden you notice that maybe some people are missing or you just wander out of the cave. And when you wander out of the cave, you see the light and you're, oh my God, this is amazing light. I love this. And you stand out there and you bask in this light. And that is the first glimpse of consciousness. But then you see your shadow and that shadow tells you you're alone. So at that point, if you're afraid, you're going to want to go back into the cave. But once you've seen the light, you really can't. You will try, but you won't. So the point is when you're out there alone, let's get other people out there to help you. Let's get books out there to help you. Let's get workshops there to get, let's get a community out there so that you will feel safe in moving forward into the light so we can create a whole new landscape. But that's, um, I think that's a really important thing too. But um, there's, you know, the, it's, there's so much going on right now. I mean, I could talk to you for, you know, hours, about <laughs> but, but I'm very, well, we'll have to talk again for sure. Yeah. 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 I I really like that. And I'm I want to thank you so much because I like I said, I'm very frequency oriented. And from the first time, well, Zanka, of course. Thank you. Know, she's amazing. <laughs> and then when she told me about you and um, you know, I looked at your your work because I can pick up a lot from just looking online oh. at people and it's a very heart based and you've really done a lot in the world that you're living in. And when I met Katie, I mean, you've obviously know how to pull together a really good team. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> they Linda, really thank are. You. It's thank such a, you. It's such a beautiful place. And I hope you expand it and, and, you know, bring other people into it because I've worked with 
a bunch of different kinds of organizations that are doing things positive, all, all heart-based. And we're now beginning to connect with each other so that we can create this web um, to be able to help the world. Thank you. And of yes. course, my book. Please and your buy book. my book. Yes. yes. The book is awesome. Trusting the Currents by Linda Polio. Linda Polio. Thank you <laughs> yeah. so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Doro. Hi, all. I just had an amazing conversation with Doro and Tricia. My name is Linda Palio, and I am a consciousness doula and the author of Trusting the Currents. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Tricia. And I'm Doro. Be well. <laughs>